WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, June 13th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, slight chance of a shower, high 78. Tonight, Overnight, partly cloudy, low 64. And then Wednesday, going to see some thunderstorms, high 75. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 63 in clear in Sag Harbor out on Long Island, 59 and partly cloudy down in Ewing, New Jersey. And it's 64 and cloudy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning last night, did you see the tweet from Pat Sajak saying that he's done with Wheel of Fortune after next season? So a whole other season, 41 seasons he's done that show, which is just incredible to think that anybody could do the same thing for 41 straight years. Granted, He's paid an enormous sum to do that. They shoot all those episodes in a very short season, and he's got the rest of the year to do kind of whatever he wants to do. The show premiered back in 1983, and uh, they had to describe, you know, like any game show, how it works. Here was what the commercial sounded like all the way back in 1983 when uh, they put it out on, uh, you know, TV stations all across the country. Get in the spin each evening this fall. A game of chance, a game of skill, as Pat Sajak and Vanna White help make contestants' dreams come true. String beans. String beans. (laughs) It sounds kind of old, doesn't it? Anyway. That was the uh, first spot for the uh, TV show all those years ago. So he was 34 or 35 when that started because he's 76 now. There was a short period of time where he said, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Do you remember this? And he tried to have his own late night talk show that was back in 1989 at didn't even last an entire year. It was like five or six months, and the show was yanked. Uh, so now the question is, who will get to spin that wheel next? I mean, it's a great gig. It pays an enormous sum of money. It's not heavy lifting. It's a short season. They shoot all these episodes in a short period of time. But now Pat Sajak walking of the way at the end of next season. It'll be interesting to see if Vanna White follows him because she's been doing it just as long as he has. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. Donald Trump going to face a judge in a Miami courtroom today. Will we ever know for sure why Keyshawn Sewell stepped down? A noisy hearing in Queens over rent. A naked man running for office on Long Island has neighbors freaked out. And as we just mentioned there, Pat Sachek stepping down. Let's get into it at 5.03. And 
NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell uh, surprising just about everybody, announcing her resignation yesterday, a decision that left many within the nation's uh, largest police department just shocked. The move came after Sewell met with Mayor Adams at City Hall yesterday afternoon. The word is he did not see it coming. She announced the sudden resignation in a letter to her fellow colleagues. Uh, the mayor was holding a meeting last night for constituents, and he did talk about Keyshawn Sewell. We want to just really thank her for coming to our city serving this city in the manner in which she did. Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot more to say about her. When she came in, crime was moving in the wrong direction. Dangerous environment. She turned it around. Look at the numbers. So the mayor was said to be surprised by the news, but for months apparently tension had been brewing. The tension appeared to surface in public last November when Keyshawn Sewell, the, I guess well, she's still police commissioner today, gave a speech to a banquet of fellow police women. Listen to what she says during this banquet to fellow female officers. Understand that you will be second guessed, told what you should say, told what you should write, by some with half your experience. Yes, so I don't know if that was a shot at Mayor Adam Sewell's resignation comes about a year and a half after she became the first woman to lead the nation's largest police department. She was sworn in January 1st, 2022. She faced a bunch of difficult challenges during her tenure, including a first month in office that saw five NYPD's cops uh, shot in January of 2022. Do you remember that? And under her leadership, she saw an overall drop in index crime, uh, deployed these so-called neighborhood safety teams that seemed to have worked. So as of June 11th, crime was up this year by less than a percent. Meanwhile, murders were down 12 percent. Uh, rapes were down 10 percent. Transit crime, where so many of these things were happening, down 8 percent. Shootings down 25 percent. And lots of people say it was a credit to her for the initiatives she put out on the street. She had won the respect of rank and file by trying to install fairer and more consistent discipline for officers. Um, she negotiated uh, just a couple months back this groundbreaking union agreement giving officers what are historic races. But still, sources cited this increasing tension with City Hall that the mayor was trying to make the moves. And anything she tried to do, including promotions, had to be run through the mayor's office. And at some point, she just got tired of it. Former NYPD Chief of Department Terrence Monahan says Sewell is a private person. And so we never may know for sure why exactly she stepped down. Whether or not there's some friction between herself and the mayor and maybe the other leadership of the department, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so the story is we've never known a lot about her. She keeps her private life private, that she has the right to do. Reports, though, say she was frustrated with micromanagement, especially when it came to making promotions within the department. WABC News Time 509, big day for former President Trump, who will be in a federal courtroom in Miami later this afternoon, calling his indictment related to the handling of classified documents a witch hunt. Uh, of course, he talked to our own Roger Stone on Sunday did a couple more interviews uh, yesterday. They're using, they've weaponized the Justice Department, absolutely weaponized it, 
in order to try and win an election where he's way behind. Talking to a radio station down in southern Florida, Trump called accusations against him fake. The former president claimed that he's still leading the potential 2024 opponents in the polls, and this is about taking him down. They're using this because they're losing in the polls. They're losing very big in the polls. You probably see where beating uh, the sanctimonious, I call them, by a lot, by like 35, 40, 50 points in some polls. And we're beating Biden by 10 points, 11 points, 12 points. And anytime he's talked about this indictment over the last four or five days, he's called it a shame. There's never been anything like it. A witch hunt like this has never taken place. Uh, when you look at what they've done and when you look at the criminal acts and the horrible acts that they've committed, and then they come after uh, me. So we don't know yet if this will play to his voting base or will attract other voters. Trump left his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, yesterday morning to head down to Florida. Local residents there, mixed reaction on this indictment. I just think that so many people hate the man and they'll do anything they can to keep him out of there to try and run again. I'm not a supporter, but I'm uh, hoping that uh, justice will work its way through this case. The indictment against the ex-president alleges Trump stored classified information, including U.S. nuclear programs, defense weapon capabilities at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Uh, he will be back, by the way, after this uh, appearance in court at Bedminster tonight for a fundraiser. We'll make comments. I'm sure we'll have them tomorrow morning. Uh, down in Miami, Miami's mayor promising residents and visitors the city's ready for whatever happens today as the president arrives at the federal courthouse. In our city, um, A, we, we obviously believe in the Constitution and believe that people should have the right to express themselves. Um, but we also believe in law and order. And we know that uh, and we hope that tomorrow will be peaceful. Mayor Suarez, who, by the way, is going to make his own announcement for the White House later this week, says the city is used to handling large crowds. No big deal. We had a lot of resources at our disposal that were very unique, in my opinion, in the country uh, and and allowed us to um, manage things without hurting anyone and without unnecessarily large numbers of arrests. Yeah, so the president has asked that there be a major protest outside the courthouse today uh, in favor of him. We'll have to see if that materializes. The police chief in Miami says he's ready for that, too. We're bringing enough resources to handle crowd anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000. We don't expect any issues. Yeah, uh, more. We will have a First Amendment designated area that will have sight and sound. And if we begin to see that there's opposing parties, we'll at that time make sure that they're they're separated and there's plenty of officers on the scene to make sure that we maintain the safety and security of all. When he was indicted here, it was kind of crazy outside the courthouse down in lower Manhattan. But the NYPD did a fantastic job managing the crowds on both sides, keeping them apart. That'll be, I'm sure, the same in Miami today. Lots of Trump supporters say they will be there for the president. Why would it be like January 6th? Nobody's going inside the courthouse. This is just Trump supporters showing up outside with their flags and their shirts and their hats to support President Trump. Trump supporter Laura Loomer there says she will be in Miami. I'm not calling for violence. I'm not asking for people to be violent. I condemn violence. But at the same time, people should be out and about and rally peacefully. The White House trying to stay away from this all, not making a whole lot of comment, says President Biden wants to make sure his administration does not politicize the Department of Justice. Some people may think he already has. He's restoring uh, certainly the integrity of the Department of Justice, and that is something that's important to this president. 
Pres- Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre talking to reporters yesterday says Biden respects the agency's independence and the rule of law. This is a president that respects the rule of law. This is a president that wants to make sure uh, and has proven that to be in his actions to make sure that the Department of Justice is truly independent. Yes, yeah, so uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is dating Donald Trump Jr., she was on Katz and Cosby last night. She says the former president is doing okay amid this latest indictment. Spirits are very, very good, um, despite these unfortunate circumstances, despite these um, unrelenting, unprecedented attacks against him. And, you know, look, as a family, we're standing strong. Um, we're obviously upset about what's going on, but we're not defeated. We're only emboldened by the fact that there is such a groundswell of support for the president. People are really uh, coming on board because even if people were a little bit on the fence saying, oh, I don't know about the tweets or about this or that, you know, that he's a tough fighter and he's aggressive. Well, guess what? You see why. Because every single thing that he said uh, was a sham indictment, witch hunt, investigation to persecute, out to get him. He's been vindicated. And that will be the case with this as well. Kimberly Guilfoyle on Katz and Cosby yesterday. So this is how it's going to work. Sometime around midday today, Trump will be taken from Doral to the federal courthouse downtown Miami, where he has a scheduled 3 p.m. appearance before a federal magistrate to hear the charges against him. Trump expected to enter the federal courthouse in Miami through an underground tunnel where he'll be processed, fingerprinted by federal marshals and the FBI. He won't be handcuffed. It's not known yet if a mugshot will be taken. Other accused criminals often have to surrender their passports in federal court, but we don't know if that will apply to the former president. The whole process today, from processing to release, could take around 90 minutes or so. After that, the former president expected to fly back here to New Jersey to his home in Bedminster on the golf course after the hearing where he'll hold a fundraiser for his 2024 campaign in New Jersey. The former president is expected to deliver remarks. Of course, we'll have them right here on 77 WABC as soon as he does. And then tomorrow, he celebrates his 77th birthday. So a busy 24 hours for the former president. We will be all over it here on 77 WABC. 515 now. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Good morning, Justin Ellick. Lowry searching. Well, thank you, Noam Landon. That's what it sounded like courtesy of ESPN last night in Colorado. The Denver Nuggets beat the Miami Heat 94-89 in Game 5 of the NBA Finals to secure their grip around the Larry O'Brien Trophy and assume the title of 2023 NBA champions. On a night when nothing else seemed to work, the Nuggets leaned on old reliable Nikola Jokic, who was unfazed by the generally frantic style of play on his way to registering 28 points and 16 rebounds on the night. Not surprisingly, Jokic won the Bill Russell Trophy as the NBA Finals MVP, becoming the first player in history to lead the league in points, rebounds, and assists in a single postseason. The title for Denver marks their first in franchise history. Now for baseball, where both the Mets and Yankees took days off yesterday. They'll meet each other tonight at 7.05 p.m. in Queens for Game 1 of a short two-game set to get the 2023 installment of the Subway Series underway. It'll be a good pitching matchup to look forward to. It will be Severino 
taking the hill in pinstripes against Max Scherzer in the orange and blue. A little birdie told me uh, Sidney Rosenberg will be in attendance. Also tonight, the Florida Panthers and Vegas Golden Knights drop the puck for Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals in Vegas at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Vegas currently holds a commanding three games to one lead, trying to finish things off tonight on the ice. Here with Sports Gnome, I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 519. Justin told you that the Nuggets won the NBA championship last night and we're getting some distressing news out of Denver just moments ago. Nine people shot in Denver outside the ball arena where the Nuggets won their NBA championship title last night. The uh, gunman is in custody. He was shot as a non-life-threatening injury. Three of the victims that were shot outside the arena are in critical condition. Uh, police don't know yet whether the shooting is connected to the Nuggets victory, but they say it's a complex, ongoing investigation. So it's uh, 3.19 in the morning in Denver. You can imagine how excited people were, especially ones who went to the game to see the Nuggets take the championship. Multiple shots fired after some sort of altercation involving multiple people. Again, this is the latest uh, out of Denver where the Nuggets won the championship last night. Nine people shot outside the ball arena, three of them in critical condition. Of course, as more details on that shooting come into us, we will pass them on to you, uh, making what had been a great night not so great anymore. 520, uh, did you see the CNN town hall last night? The CNN's been hosting uh, the candidates in the race for the White House on the GOP side. Last night, it was Governor Christie's turn. Now, of course, everybody wants to talk about the federal indictment against Donald Trump. And here's what Christie had to say. Put aside taking the documents in the first place. But then when you start getting asked in May of 21, nicely, with a letter from the archivist, say, could you please give it back? And you ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Yeah, Christie says the wounds are self-inflicted on part of the former president. They come with a grand jury subpoena. And then, according to the indictment, you tell your lawyers, tell them we don't have anything, even though you have dozens and dozens of boxes of material. Um, that's obstruction of justice, if it's true. Christie has made clear that his White House campaign will be all about trying to take out Donald Trump. So he says there is uh, more evidence than the paperwork lets on in this indictment, and none of it's good news for the former President Trump. Um, what I can tell you for sure I know about that indictment is there's probably about a third of the evidence they actually have is in that indictment. There's a lot more. Uh, there will guaranteed be a lot more. When you're a prosecutor, you never put every card on the table. And he says this Trump campaign, uh, the current one, is all about getting revenge against Biden, who knocked him out of office back in 2020. Why do you think he did it? I mean, it, he couldn't, he cannot live with the fact that he lost to Joe Biden. He can't live with it. And look, I watched the way Joe Biden's performing. I'd be pretty bummed out, too. Um, if I'd lost to Joe Biden. But the fact is, he did. And he wants to continue to pretend he's president. He wants the trappings of the presidency around him. And I think one of those trappings is these documents that he can wave around to people as they detail in the indictment. This is secret. I can't show you. I might have been able to show you, but now I can't. But this is what it's about. All the candidates rifling their way through CNN on the GOP side. 522 down to D.C. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will visit Beijing next week amid this heightened tension between the U.S. and uh, China. We shared concerns about uh, 
the possibility that uh, the provision of uh, weapons to Russia uh, for Ukraine is something that they might be considering. So Blinken confirmed China has operated this facility in Cuba to collect intelligence on the U.S. for years. Everybody's spying on each other. Beijing upgraded the facility apparently in 2019 uh, during the Trump administration. Blinken says the Biden administration has taken a more direct approach to counter China's efforts through diplomacy. We weren't making enough progress on this issue and we needed a more direct approach. And that's exactly what President Biden instructed uh, his team to do. PRC conducted an upgrade of its intelligence collection facilities in Cuba in 2019. So apparently that's one of the many things he will talk with Chinese leaders about when he's in Beijing next week. 523, let's stay in D.C. President Biden postponing a meeting with the head of NATO yesterday because he needed a root canal procedure. Uh, here's the press secretary. The uh, procedure has been successfully completed and he'll be certainly working uh, in the residence this afternoon. Yeah, apparently Biden began experiencing pain on the lower right hand side of his mouth on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Biden administration uh, marking the seven years since the deadly Pulse nightclub mass shooting in Florida. Again, the White House press secretary. 49 people, predominantly Latino members of the LGBTQI plus community, lost their lives in a senseless act of gun violence. Monday marks seven years since that deadly shooting. The president is continuing to fight to end the gun violence epidemic and continue to urge Congress to make common sense reforms to keep our community safe. This Pride Month, the Biden-Harris administration is going to continue lifting the LGBTQI plus community up and, and honor the victims who aren't here with us today. By the way, WABC will be celebrating Pride Month June 22nd, next Thursday, right here on 77 WABC. 524, one person dead. 11 others hospitalized after a tour boat capsized outside of Buffalo yesterday. The Lockport Fire Chief says 29 people were on this flat bottom boat in Lockport Cave when for some reason it became unbalanced at some point. The boat was at 180 degree turn, so the bottom of the boat was upright in the water. Actually, a, a number of victims were on top of that boat initially when rescues got to them. So 16 people had to be rescued while others managed to get out of the water by themselves and some parts of the water were walkable. Unfortunately, though, a man in his 60s passed away. It is believed for a time that he was initially stuck underneath the capsized boat and it did take some time to get him recovered. Uh, and back to uh, a safe location. Unfortunately, he had succumbed to his injuries. Now, tourist season, of course, in high gear in places all over the country now that school's starting to let out. But they say all the people that were on this boat were all locals. The boat can safely handle up to 40 people. There was 29 on it at the time. Somehow at the end of the cave uh, or the, the destination, that 300 feet section there, the boat became unbalanced and capsized. Every year we host familiarization tours across Niagara County for free for all hospitality employees of Niagara County. So those individuals signed up to be a part of this. And those were the people who were on that boat. 526 uh, out to Philadelphia where ABC6 is reporting that his body has been found in the rubble of the I-95 bridge collapse. However, investigators have yet to confirm any of the deaths or any deaths so far. Officials warn it could create a traffic nightmare for many for weeks and it's going to take months to repair this section of I-95. There are also 
environmental concerns. That's uh, NBC News' George Solis. A truck was carrying a petroleum-based product that caught fire, caused this partial collapse of the highway above it. There's a lot of people in the Philadelphia area who feel they haven't been told everything about this collapse. Like, uh, we now know it was an accident. The truck driver lost control of the truck. But uh, they say don't know all the details, like the name of the truck driver, why it was on this roadway, uh, what led to the collapse, how long will it take. Uh, Yesterday, you had Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro uh, issuing a disaster uh, declaration to receive federal funds to begin repairing the highway. And then you had Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg tweeting yesterday that he's been in contact with the Federal Highway Administration and Governor Shapiro to get this fixed as soon as possible. Of course, major thoroughfare, I-95 through Philadelphia, doesn't get a lot, whole lot bigger than that for people who are trying to fly from or drive down from New York to Washington or anything in between. You have to go through that area. Now people are being put all different areas. It's going to be a little bit tougher over the next month to get by. We're just getting started on this early Tuesday morning. So much to get to as we work our way up 6 o'clock hour Sid and friends in the morning a cop car crashed into another car in the Bronx we'll give you the details on that that was last night a noisy hearing over rent control in Queens we'll tell you who was left out of that meeting a naked man running for office on Long Island has neighbors totally freaked out and at Starbucks at least unionized Starbucks stores you can no longer give the baristas a tip if you're using a credit card we'll get into those stories and more but first this at 5 30 the 77 wabc news hour talking the news with noah laden on 77 wabc talk radio 77 wabc talking the news with noah on 77 wabc this is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yep, that's me. It is 5.30. Good morning. It is Tuesday, June 13th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today. Slight chance of a shower. High 78. Tonight overnight, partly cloudy. Low 64. And then Wednesday, thunderstorms. High 75. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 63 and clear in Sag Harbor on Long Island. 59 and partly cloudy uh, down in Ewing, New Jersey, and it's 64 and cloudy here in Midtown. Uh, some breaking news overnight. Uh, maybe you were watching the NBA Finals last night. The Nuggets just dominant during that series, winning it four games to one uh, last night in Denver in front of the home crowd. As you might imagine, as it happens in so many cities across the country, people poured into the streets when they win a championship. No different in Denver, where they have not seen one in a very long time. Fans out into the street, right around the ball arena. A gunman, at least one, opening fire in what is now being described as a mass shooting. Nine people were shot. The gunman was shot as well. Uh, Three of the people shot are in critical condition. An update from Denver police say nine gunshot victims have been identified from the shooting. This was uh, right near the arena. Not clear if these are people who had gone to the game or people who had raced out onto the streets to celebrate the victory. But you can imagine people having a good time celebrating the team. Uh, They think there was some sort of incident. Cops not sure if it was related to the basketball game or something else. Uh, But again, 
This coming in from Denver police, nine shot, three in critical condition. The gunman has been arrested uh, in Denver after the Nuggets last night won the NBA championships. That stuff out of Denver. All right, let's bring it back home and we'll go up to the Bronx. An NYPD cop car crashing into another car in the Bronx last night. Two officers, another person injured. It happened along East 149th Street and Brook Avenue. That's in the Mott Haven section. The officers apparently were speeding to a 911 call. This man witnessed it all. The white car was coming from uh, east side, or running to the oh, from west side, was running to the east side. And uh, the police car was coming from uh, the wrong way, uh, Brook Avenue. And uh, at the intersection, uh, you know, the, the collision happened. Yes, so several surveillance videos show the police car going the wrong way on Brook Avenue before it T-boned a white Jeep Cherokee as, he, as it tried to cross the intersection. The Jeep sustained damage to the passenger side. Uh, the police cruiser was left totally mangled. Both officers who are assigned to the 40th precinct taken to Lincoln Hospital were told this morning, thankfully, there are minor injuries. The driver inside the Jeep was taken to a nearby hospital. We're told they are in stable condition. 535, let's go out to Hoboken, New Jersey. New Jersey's largest climate resiliency park now open to the public in Hoboken. Governor Murphy in the Mile Square City yesterday cutting for the ribbon cutting ceremony at the Northwest Park Resiliency Park. Uh, He's saying that climate change has arrived and this park will deal with some of the flooding issues brought on by climate change. But our climate is already changing and we are at ground zero. We saw that last week with the unprecedented levels of smoke and hazardous air from wildfires in Canada. So I got a chance to check out this park yesterday. Uh, it is pretty fantastic. It's, it was once a vacant industrial lot, uh, but as most of Hoboken is gone, it's been built upon. This multi-million dollar project turned these five acres uh, into green space. Uh, it's designed to manage up to two million gallons of stormwater to mitigate the risk of flooding. You'll remember during Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy, Hoboken was just a wash. I mean, it was flooded all over the city. Now, this Northwest Park in the northwest part of Hoboken will be able to take on some of that water if they see flooding again. It brings us one very big step closer to a truly recreational Hudson River. And dare I say it, perhaps even a step closer to a swimmable Hudson River. Hoboken Mayor Avi Bala, of course, was there as well for the ribbon cutting. That address both the needs of residents and the pressing environmental concerns that we face. And that is precise, precisely what this park represents. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, of course, the New York senator, pushing for bipartisan legislation yesterday that would combat New York City's fentanyl crisis along with the nation's crisis. While New York City has been expanding its harm reduction tactics, the reality is that this will continue to be a problem so long as drug dealers are bringing dangerous fentanyl into our city. Joey Brand says the Fendoff Fentanyl Act would in part declare a national emergency, require President Biden to sanction members of criminal organizations that are trafficking the drug right here into the U.S. This drug doesn't come from a plant. It comes from chemicals. And we need a tool to address those who are supplying the chemicals that the cartels are converting into fentanyl. And that's killing so many people. 
New York City reporting more than 2,600 overdoses in 2021, and 80% were connected to fentanyl. That's how huge of a problem this is. WABC News Time 539. Let's go out to Queens, where residents there making their voices heard last night during a Rent Guidelines Board public hearing on this impending rent hike. Many in the audience in Jamaica at the Performing Arts Center there holding up signs one by one. Residents testifying, saying people are suffering from high rents and can't afford to pay anymore. How are you able to sleep at night knowing that you are going to be putting people out onto the streets and into the shelter system if you vote for another high rent increase? I see more and more of my neighbors being displaced because they are on fixed incomes and their income doesn't rise. And the rent stabilization board like passed a uh, huge increase last year. So last night was the second of four public hearings that are planned by the Rent Guidelines Board. The board sits on stage and listens as these people speak. They're considering increases approved in a preliminary vote last month. The proposed increase is between 2 and 5% for one-year leases and between 4 and 7% for two-year leases. But people who showed up last night say they can't afford any of that. I work every day, Monday through Sunday, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Do you think I have a life? I have to survive. I just left work to come here to speak up for the people that couldn't come here. So many of the landlords, they're small-time business people who own a couple of apartments, maybe a three-story building. I mean, they're not they, – they can't they, – they say they're having a hard time making ends meet on their end, and that's why they need the raise even to make ends meet. Now, what I thought was interesting about last night's Rent Guidelines Board meeting is nobody from their side spoke out. So I did a little digging, and I was watching a little bit of the tube last night trying to figure out why they weren't there. And I found out uh, from a reporter at New York One, Arnold uh, Davick, who's a great reporter there. Uh, here he explains why the landlords were not at the meeting last night because – they, we should hear their side of the story, of course. Representatives with the Rent Stabilization Association, which advocates for landlords, advised its members to not testify in person out of fear of hostility and interruptions from tenants. They did, however, encourage the landlords to testify during a virtual hearing that will happen Tuesday at 5 p.m. through the board's website. Yeah, that's crazy. So basically they're telling them not to come because they fear violence of some sort against these landlords who are just regular folk trying to make a living like everybody else. Let's go up to the Bronx. Residents in the Fordham neighborhood coming together last night pushed back against the city's Department of Homeland Security against another shelter coming to their neighborhood. Reports from the Department of Homeland, uh, Homeless Services, I think I called it security, the Department of Homeless Services show that the Bronx leads the five boroughs in terms of the number of shelters. They have 129 locations in the Bronx. And people say, come on. Let, uh, let's share this with other boroughs. Do they contract with services like people that are social workers and things like that and people that do outreach to other, you know, to re- on resources simply because that's what those people need at that point. So some residents in the community who were at this meeting last night to say they're not exactly against putting up a shelter in the Bronx, but they'd rather see permanent housing for these people who are homeless so they can get on with their lives. New York City's uh, Summer Streets program going to be back again th- this year, and it'll ex- expand it to include some heavily traveled roads. We are really allowing people to 
not only reintroduce themselves to the streets, but reintroduce themselves to their capability and start to think differently about moving around our city. Mayor Adams there, of course, says the program's coming to all five boroughs over five Saturdays between July and August, doubling in size. There'll be 20 miles of roadway shut to car traffic, left open for people to play and walk and bike. If you've never done this before, it's always a lot of fun. This year, a busy part of the Grand Concourse up in the Bronx, Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, both places will have these city streets. Streets are used for everything now. Mopeds, walking, roller skating. When you think about it, coming outside and strolling and really compelling people to really interact with each other. Yeah, so go to nyc.gov or wabcradio.com and you can see when your neighborhood will be having these city streets. A man in Newark claims he was robbed in his own home by another man he met on a dating app. Newark police say the incident happened at about 4.20 in the morning. They say the victim invited a man he met on a dating app to his Shepherd Avenue home. Now, I'll point out again, it was 4.20 in the morning. No good usually comes at 4.20 in the morning. Unfortunately, when he opened the door, there were three people there. They beat him up. They stole his wallet. Neighbors say, you know, what are you doing inviting people over at 4.20 in the morning? A lot, a lot of crazy stuff going on. You got to check them dating sites out, you know. Make sure it's legit. You can find somebody online, but you need to have spend time with people. You can't just assume because you met them online everything is true. Now, cops in Newark are calling this a dating app, but it sounds like it's more like a hookup app this guy was using if he was inviting somebody over at 420 in the morning. So far, they have not caught up with the man who beat him up and took his wallet. We have to be very careful. You know, people hook up on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, no, TikTok, and we have all of these social media outlets right now. Sometimes you can meet a good person, and sometimes you can't. Yeah, right. Good advice. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, and here's Justin Ellis. Well, thank you, Normal Aiden. We do have an NBA champion to announce here. The Denver Nuggets, they beat the Miami Heat 94-89 to in Game 5 last night of the NBA Finals to secure their grip around the Larry O'Brien Trophy and assume the title of 2023 NBA champions. Here's what it sounded like, courtesy of ESPN. Now he's searching. Looking, looking. Finds Drew's back to Larry. There it is, three-pointer. Won't go. Rebound, call, go, call. They're not going to foul. The Heat will let it play out. It's over. At last, the long wait is over. Again, ESPN on the call on a night when nothing else seemed to work. The Nuggets lead on Old Reliable and Nikola Jokic, who was unfazed by the generally frantic style of play on his way to registering 28 points and 16 rebounds on the night. Not surprisingly, Jokic won the Bill Russell Trophy as the NBA Finals MVP, becoming the first player in history to lead the league in points, rebounds, and assists in a single postseason. The title for Denver marks their first in franchise history. Now, for baseball, where both the Mets and Yankees Took off days yesterday. They'll meet each other tonight at 7.05 p.m. in Queens for Game 1 of a short two-game set to get the 2023 installment of the Subway Series underway. It'll be a good pitching matchup to look forward to as well with Luis Severino taking the hill in pinstripes against Max Scherzer in the orange and blue. And also tonight, the Florida Panthers in Vegas Golden Knights drop the puck for Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals in Vegas at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Vegas currently holds a commanding three games to one lead, trying to finish things off tonight. 
on the ice. Here with sports on 77 WABC Nome. I'm Justin Al. Let's get you up on the headlines of the morning. A bit of breaking news out of Denver. You heard Justin report that the Nuggets uh, beat the uh, Heat four games to one, just dominated them in the NBA Finals. And you can imagine how exciting it is for a city like Denver that has not seen a championship in quite a long while. People pouring into the streets last night to celebrate the victory. And there was some sort of mass shooting early this morning there. We're being told by cops in Denver, nine people shot outside the ball arena. Three are in critical condition. Now, the gunman was also shot, we're not sure, by police or someone else, but that gunman has been taken into custody. Uh, So far, police are not saying whether the shooting is connected to the Nuggets game, but it was near the ball arena. And as you might guess, in a city like Denver, where they had not seen a championship in so long, thousands coming out to celebrate last night. What a horrible ending to that. Of course, we'll follow that story as the morning wears on, but what we're being told right now nine shot three critical the gunman is in police custody big news of course here back in the city nypd commissioner Keyshawn sewell surprising just about everybody with her resignation yesterday uh, will leave the nation's largest police department after becoming the first woman ever to lead it on the job for just 18 months she showed up at city hall yesterday to tell mayor adams that she was leaving apparently he was pretty surprised we want to just really thank her for coming to our city serving this city in the manner in which she did. That was the mayor at an event last night. Someone asked him about it. Here was more of what he had to say about Keyshawn Sewell. When she came in, crime was moving in the wrong direction. Dangerous environment. She turned it around. Look at the numbers. So, uh, you know, there was this hostility, apparently, between the mayor and Sewell. That's what people are reporting, that uh, he was the mayor, was micromanaging things that she was doing at the NYPD. And we got a little taste of that, of course, now listening to it later. She gave a speech last November to a banquet of fellow police women. And here's what she told them. Understand that you will be second guessed, told what you should say, told what you should write by some with half your experience. No doubt you can look at some of her successes along the way under her leadership. The Queen's native saw an overall drop in index crime, deployed these new so-called safety neighborhood safety teams, and it has made a difference. As of June 11th, crime was up this year, but by less than a percent. Meanwhile, murders down 12.5 percent or rapes down 10 percent, transit crime down below 8 percent, shootings down 25 percent. She had won the respect of the rank and file trying to install fairer and more consistent discipline for officers. Uh, She also negotiated what was really a groundbreaking union agreement, giving officers what are historic uh, raises, but Still, sources cited this increasing tension with Mayor Adams. A former NYPD chief of department, Terrence Monahan, says Sewell is a private person, so we may never really know exactly why she's stepping down. She sent an email out yesterday, but it was mostly about thanking the NYPD and the cops for the work they do every day. Whether or not there's some friction between herself and the mayor and maybe the other leadership of the department, uh, 
I don't know. Not even exactly clear if she's officially stepped down as of today, as of weeks from now. Of course, we'll follow this story. And then, of course, the big story down in Miami today will be former President Trump uh, down to appear in a Miami federal courtroom uh, for this indictment. Thirty seven charges. He's calling the indictment to these classified materials. The documents found Mar-a-Lago, a witch hunt. They're using they've weaponized the Justice Department, absolutely weaponized it in order to try and win an election where he's way behind. The former president claiming that he's still leading in the 2024 polls and that this is a way to take him out of the race. They're using this because they're losing in the polls. They're losing very big in the polls. You probably see we're beating uh, the sanctimonious, I call them, by a lot, by like 35, 40, 50 points in some polls. And we're beating Biden by 10 points, 11 points, 12 points. And we were watching yesterday when Trump left his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, headed down to Florida to get ready for today. People in the neighborhood, mixed reaction from that. I just think that so many people hate the man and they'll do anything they can to keep him out of there to try and run again. I'm not a supporter, but I'm hoping that uh, justice will work its way through this case. And we've seen how crazy it can be when this kind of court case takes place. Uh, we can go back just a couple months ago. Same hold true when President Trump was in lower Manhattan to answer charges. In Miami today, the Miami's mayor saying they're going to keep the peace. The police are ready for whatever may come. In our city, um, A, we, we obviously believe in the Constitution and believe that people should have the right to express themselves. Um, but we also believe in law and order. And we know that uh, and we hope that tomorrow will be peaceful. Police Chief Manny Morales uh, says his men in uniform, men and women, will be out. We will have a First Amendment designated area that will have sight and sound. And if we begin to see that there's opposing parties, we'll at that time make sure that they're, they're separated. And there's plenty of officers on the scene to make sure that we maintain the safety and security of all. And last night, Kimberly Guilfoyle, of course, the boyfriend of Donald Trump Jr. on Cats and Cosby, says former president is doing okay amid all this. Spirits are very, very good. Um, despite these unfortunate circumstances, despite these um, unrelenting, unprecedented attacks against them. And, you know, look, as a family, we're standing strong. Um, we're obviously upset about what's going on, but we're not defeated. We're only emboldened by the fact that there is such a groundswell of support for the president. People are really uh, coming on board because even if people were a little bit on the fence saying, oh, I don't know about the tweets or about this or that, you know, that he's a tough fighter. And he's. A- and so what we know about today is sometime around midday today, Trump will be taken from Doral to the federal courthouse downtown Miami, where he's scheduled 3 p.m. appearance before a federal magistrate to hear the charges against him. He's expected to enter the federal courthouse in Miami through an underground tunnel where he'll be processed, fingerprinted by federal marshals and the FBI. He won't be handcuffed. It's not known yet if a mugshot will be taken. Other accused criminals often have to surrender their passports in federal court. We don't know yet if that will apply to the former president. The whole process on uh, later today from processing to release could take about 90 minutes. After that, the former president expected to travel back to New Jersey after the hearing. He'll attend a fundraiser in Bedminster, a White House 2024 campaign fundraiser. And then he's expected to deliver remarks. And, of course, you can hear them right here on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 556 will end with this really odd story out of Long Island, where a man who is running for office there, for some reason, has been standing in his doorway way naked in Lindenhurst. Victoria Lombardi drives a van 
the where she delivers passengers back and forth. And she says, uh, Kevin Sabella, a candidate for the Babylon Town Council, stands in his door same time every day without any clothes on. And she's sure that he's doing it to irk her. I thought it was like disgusting once I realized that he was doing it intentionally. Just thought he was like really creepy and gross. He would make eye contact. So I kind of knew it was on purpose at that point. It'd be intentional because I would see him also like waiting in his window for me to like pull down onto the block. Now, again, this is Kevin Sabella, a guy who's running for the Babylon Town Council. Neighbors say it's freaky. It's horrendous. There's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. So, you know, very, very scary. You know, with kids playing in the street and stuff like that. Babylon Town Supervisor telling News 12 that Shabella should rethink his candidacy now that he's been caught doing this. I think he's got a lot of serious issues that he needs to deal with, and it's probably best that he focus on personal issues as opposed to uh, running for the town board. Town board takes a lot of energy and focus, and so I would uh, just recommend to him that he focus on those personal issues that he's got going on. Yeah, probably a good idea. Freaky. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.